0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Romans 4:13 through 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, welcome to our service. Thank you so much for joining us. Those of you watching online and those of you here in our sanctuary, it is great to have you with us on this beautiful, sunny Sunday in March. Isn't it great to see some sunshine this week? It's been so nice. We have begun a study of the remarkable New Testament book of Romans. The book of Romans has been called the most basic, most comprehensive statement of true Christianity. It is a very logical, systematic explanation of the gospel in a fairly long letter, letter uh, that is 16 chapters in our Bible. And so we're working our way through this remarkable book of the New Testament that was written by the Apostle Paul. The first couple of chapters we saw that Paul is making the case that we all, regardless of our background, stand in need of God's forgiveness We stand in need of reconciliation with God because of our sin. And then in chapter 3 last week, Pastor Andrew uh, explained the beautiful passage about the righteousness of God being provided for us, to us, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you had the opportunity to hear that message, you may have heard repeatedly the word faith. In Romans 3 and verse 22, It's about the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 25, Christ has been received, is to be received by faith. And then in verse 26, God is just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. So faith is critically important. It is necessary to receiving the benefits that God has provided for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The question I'd like to address today is, what is this faith? What does Paul mean when he writes about faith? Because that's what chapter four is all about. What is faith? I think it's especially important that we understand what Paul means when he refers to faith, because in our world today, in our culture, faith has such a broad meaning. For many, it's just a vague, nebulous concept that things will just work out all right. This week, I looked at a website uh, that was simply titled, Quotations About Faith. It had kind of a spiritual, perhaps Christian flavor to it. But these are some of the the, uh, definitions of faith that various people gave. You'll see a few of these before you. For example, faith... Is the voice inside of you telling you that there are brighter days ahead that's what some would understand faith to be another one is this faith is believing in something when common sense tells you not to someone else has said breathe and have faith that everything will work out for the best Another one, faith is knowledge within the heart beyond the reach of proof. Someone else said, the reason birds can fly and we can't is simply because they have perfect faith. For to have faith is to have wings. Another said, faith allows things to happen. It is the power that comes from a fearless heart. And when a fearless heart believes, miracles happen. Now, I don't mean to make fun of anyone, and I didn't include names with these quotations, but I share them to stress how important it is that we be clear about what we mean when we talk about faith, especially faith as it relates to our salvation. What does the Apostle Paul mean by faith when he says, for by grace are you saved through faith. What does Scripture mean when it says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him, whoever believes in Jesus, will not perish but have everlasting life? What does God mean there by this belief? What is meant by saving faith? In order to teach this, to teach us what is meant by saving faith, the Apostle Paul uses the example of a man whose story is found in the Old Testament, Abraham. Abraham in the book of Galatians in the New Testament is actually called the man of faith. Abraham's name is really synonymous with faith in the Bible. So it certainly uh, makes sense. Paul would use him in Romans chapter 4 to teach us about the nature of saving faith. Please don't miss the fact that In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is proving that salvation is by grace through faith by using the Old Testament. He's using the Old Testament to prove to us that salvation is by grace through faith. What does he teach us? First thing he teaches us in Romans chapter 4 is that it was necessary for Abraham to be saved by grace through faith. Abraham was not a perfect man. If we read Genesis chapter 12, we'd we'd see right after uh, God spoke to Abraham, Abraham did something very cowardly. He and his wife Sarah went into Egypt, and he was afraid for his life because his wife Sarah was so beautiful. And he said to her, tell everybody you're my sister because I'm afraid they'll kill me for the sake of you because you're beautiful. That's what they did. And the the, the king took... took, uh, the king of Egypt took Sarah and his own household. Now, God smote them with plagues and they discovered she really was his wife. But Abraham was not perfect. What do you read in Romans chapter four? Paul writes this, what then shall we say was gained, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? The implied answer is nothing. Abraham did not gain what he gained by works of the flesh. He goes on to say, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul is saying Abraham cannot boast about what he gained by his works. He's going to make the point that Abraham, by faith, received the grace of God. In verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is gonna be Paul's emphasis. In verse four, he says to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So Paul's making the case, the right standing with God Abraham received, the righteousness being brought into an eternal relationship with God. This that Abraham received was received not by his works, but by the grace of God. And since it was by grace entirely, It was received through faith. Later in this chapter, Paul will write, that's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. Abraham's salvation, his standing with God, was a gift. All he did was believe, believe what God says. God wants to be trusted. God wants to be trusted. Some of you watching our service here today, some of your parents, how would you feel if you in all sincerity said to your child, I'm going to do this for you. I promise this to you because I love you. How would you feel if your child looked you in the face and said, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. Those of you who are married. If you told your spouse, I I will do this for you. I love you dearly. If your spouse said, I don't trust you, I don't believe you. Well, certainly that would reflect on your character, wouldn't it? God's character is perfect. His character is flawless. God is completely 100% trustworthy. And He simply asks that we trust Him. Saving faith, and we see it in the life of Abraham, it rests on God's grace. It was necessary for Abraham to be saved, not by his works, nothing he gained according to the flesh, by the grace of God through faith. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. Secondly, Abraham was counted righteous by his faith in God, with emphasis on the words, in God. Abraham's faith was in the right object. Abraham, Scripture says in verse 3 of Romans 4, believed God. God was the object of the faith. God was the one in whom he believed. In verse 5, we read uh, of believing in Him who justifies the ungodly. That's God. God is a justifier of ungodly people. God works to bring salvation to all of us who have sinned and justifies us, declares us righteous. We read further in verse 5. It's written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Here's the point. God was the one in whom Abraham put his faith. God was the object of his faith. Abraham's faith was not in himself. It was not in good karma. It was not that the universe was somehow on his side. It was not that somehow everything would just work out for the best if he would only believe. His faith was in God who justifies the ungodly, who raises the dead. God must be the object of our faith. Let me say this to you today. If your faith feels weak, if you're worried that your faith might be inadequate, if you're worried that it's not strong enough, Stop striving to be strong in faith by your own effort and to somehow work up your faith. Focus on God. God must be the object of our faith. Dwell on who He is, who He's revealed to be in Scripture, what He has done. Look at what He's revealed about Himself in His Word. And let your faith rest on Him. Number three, Abraham's example. His example is intended to teach us something, and it's intended specifically to teach us about receiving the gospel. Paul writes in Romans 4, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That is, it was credited to him as righteous. Though Abraham was a sinner like the rest of us, his faith in God was credited as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. That is, he was, he was sent to the cross to pay for our sins. And he was raised from dead for our justification. That is that we might be deemed righteous, counted righteous, declared righteous by God. Interestingly, Paul in the book of Galatians chapter 3 gives us teaching really similar to what we find in Romans chapter 4. And there he also uses Abraham as an example of faith for us. He, he writes there again, he quotes the same verse, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Note, note what he writes here in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. Know then that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jews, By faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What? God preached the gospel to Abraham? Preached the gospel to Abraham saying, quote, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. When God said to Abraham, as you read on the screen there, and you shall all the nations be blessed, he gave him a promise that's recorded in the book of Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3. Abraham had no children. And God told him that, that he would have offspring. And through your offspring, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. As the Bible unfolds, it becomes clear that this promise of all the nations being blessed is the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is for every nation, people, tribe, and tongue. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, the apostle Paul gives even greater clarity to this when he writes that God's promise to Abraham was referring to one, quote, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So here's what Paul's saying. He's teaching us, I think, that Abraham anticipated an offspring through whom all the world would be blessed. Abraham's faith looked ahead to the Messiah and his work. Our faith now looks back upon the Messiah, Jesus, and his completed work, his finished work. Abraham's faith in believing in God's promise of an offspring through whom the world would be blessed is a forerunner of the faith we're to have in the offspring who has now come, Jesus, through whom, indeed, all the world as the gospel is spread, is being and ultimately will be blessed. Abraham's faith looked ahead. Ours looks upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. So let me try to recap what we've seen so far. Number one, it was necessary for Abraham to be saved by grace through faith. As Paul said, what has Abraham gained according to the flesh? It wasn't because of his works. He simply put his faith in God. Number two, Abraham was counted righteous because his faith was in the right object. Faith was not in himself, wasn't in his, his good efforts wasn't in the universe, it was in God who raises the dead. And then thirdly, we've seen Abraham's example is specifically intended in Scripture to teach us about receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 4, the Apostle Paul is teaching us that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus, His death on the cross and His resurrection. And to prove this, He's using the Old Testament example of Abraham. Number four, one other important thing about Abraham's faith that I think we should grasp. It's this. Abraham's faith was a walk. It was a walk of faith. It meant following God. We read in verse 12, And to make him, that is Abraham, the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk... In the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Faith has footsteps. Real saving faith has footsteps. It leads us in God's way. I don't mean to say that Abraham got faith by following God's ways and following his instructions throughout life. Rather, that he followed God's ways and instructions because he had faith in God. I want to take a couple minutes now just to think about Abraham's walk. Abraham's walk of faith. You know, it's a really interesting thing in the Bible to study the word walk or walking. Enoch, in the Old Testament, walked with God. Noah, in the Old Testament, walked with God, we're told. Scripture tells us to walk in paths of righteousness, to walk in the Spirit, to walk in the light as he is in the light, to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith calls us to a a walk with God. What about Abraham's walk? In Genesis chapter 12, we read, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. By the way, note the recurrence of the words, I will. I will. It's a God who's initiating everything. Abraham is simply believing and obeying. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. God is speaking. God is blessing. God is providing. Abraham is simply believing and obeying. Later in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord. Abraham begins worshiping. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. God is speaking, Abraham's trusting, obeying, worshiping. In Genesis 13, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land you see, I will give to you and your offspring. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land that I will give you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Same pattern, God speaking, God promising, God blessing. Abraham believes, obeys, walks, and now he's also worshiping God. He's building altars to God. He's worshiping in response to the God who has spoken to him. One last example. The words we just read noted that Lot separated from Abraham. Lot was Abram's nephew. And Abram and and Lot, their flocks had grown so large they needed to separate. So Abram gave Lot the choice. He said, look, pick out the land you want. Lot chose the well-watered land of Sodom. It looked better, and he took it. But the Bible tells us that the, the men of Sodom were evil and sinners against the Lord. And that's where Lot ended up. Well, a, a group of invading armies we read about in Genesis chapter 4 attacked uh, Sodom, and they took Lot and his family captive and took all the possessions. Well, a war followed this, and, and Abram heard about it. So Abram took the 318 trained uh, men and his household, and he went out to rescue Lot, and they must have been mighty warriors because with his his band of household uh, men, they went out and they prevailed, and they brought Lot back and they brought all the spoil back. And Genesis fourteen gives us something I think is is particularly beautiful, remarkable. When he's coming back, the Bible says the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram after this great victory. And someone we're introduced here for the first time and we're never really told in the Old Testament who it is comes out, Melchizedek. The word Melchizedek means king of righteousness. The word Salem means peace. So Melchizedek is the king of righteousness, the king of peace. He brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram. He said, blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And what does Abram do? He gives him the tenth of everything. This is the first instance of tithing in the Bible, someone specifically being said to worship God with a, a tenth. This is kind of the genesis of that idea we have of giving God our first fruits. Now, I mention this because Melchizedek in the New Testament, uh, in, in a way that's difficult for me to really understand, he's a type of Jesus Christ. And you can read about that in the book of Hebrews. We won't dwell on that now. But what I want to note is that, again, God is initiating the blessing. Abram is simply obeying and he's worshiping God. Now he's worshiping God with his possessions, giving him a tenth of everything. Here's the point I want to make. Faith has footsteps. Faith is a walk. For Abram, he believed God and he walked with God. He went where God said to go. He did what God said to do. God was the initiator. God was the blesser. God was the provider. Abram simply obeyed and he worshiped him. Here's why I want to stress this. Sometimes a person will say something like this, if asked, are you a Christian? Well, yeah. You know, when I was uh, seven years old, I prayed a prayer, took care of my salvation, checked it off the list, closed the book. My life's never been any different. Took care of that. Forgot about that. Friends, trust in Jesus Christ is a doorway to walking with God. We're told to walk in the Spirit. We're told to walk in paths of righteousness. We're told to walk in the light as He is in the light. We are told to walk by faith. We don't get faith by our walking, but when we have genuine faith, we walk by faith. We walk with God. Salvation is not the end of the journey where you close the book and forget about life with God. Rather, The all-important prayer of receiving Jesus in salvation is a doorway to a life of walking with God, walking by faith, walking in love, walking in the light as He is in the light. Abraham walked with God. Saving faith is an entryway into a life of walking by faith with your Savior. We see it in our example of Abraham. It's to be seen in our own lives. So, before we leave the subject this morning, I want, to, I want to just raise three questions by way of personal application. Those of you who are Christians may be wondering, how can my faith grow? And I would say again, by growing in the knowledge of God, who He is. Having received the gospel of Jesus Christ, having placed your faith in the right object as Abraham did, placing his faith in the God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead, the God who created all things with his powerful word. Don't put faith in your faith. Stop striving and worrying about whether your faith is strong enough. Put your focus on God. Dwell on him. Contemplate on who he is. Maybe go back to the first chapter of the book of Genesis and read the words we find there where we see that God said, let there be light. And there was light, the God who created all things. Contemplate who has revealed himself to be in scripture. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Secondly, how can my faith grow? by knowing and trusting God's promises. <clears throat> we read of Abraham, <coughs> excuse me, that he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Don't you love the way the Apostle Paul describes Abraham at that point in life? He was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. He grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. Abraham didn't deny his natural circumstances. He knew his body was as good as dead. But he trusted God's promise. God has given us many great and precious promises in His Word. And God is glorified when we trust those promises, know them, trust them, believe them. And then thirdly, By walking in the footsteps of the faith that Abraham had. Faith has footsteps. Real faith walks. Through faith, we receive God's grace in Jesus, and we walk by faith. And like Abraham, walking with God means doing what he says to do. It means not doing what he says not to do. It's a life with God. Praying to receive Jesus Christ means you've entered an eternal relationship with God, your Creator and Savior, the one who has blessed you beyond anything you can imagine. And now you get to walk with Him. You get to walk with Him throughout life. So my question for those of you who are Christians today is this. Are you walking with God? You get up and go to work each day and do what you do every day. You go to school. Are you walking with him? The end of the chapter, the Apostle Paul writes these words. But the words, quote, it was counted to him were written not for his sake alone. That is not for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, our sins. He was raised for our justification, that is, so we could be declared righteous before God. And today as we close the service, we're going to celebrate that, what Jesus did in His dying life on the cross. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, when he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he, he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he warns us. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. With those words of caution, I'd like to take a a couple minutes just to pray and examine ourselves first to be sure that we've indeed placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And then we'll take a moment of silence, allowing the Holy Spirit to search our hearts if there be anything that should be brought into the light before God a sin we want to confess, something we want to ask for help with, and then I'll give us a little instruction about taking communion together. So would you join me as we pray? Father, how we thank you that Jesus, the Son of God, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. For it is not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to Your mercy You have saved us through faith in Your grace given us in Jesus. Father, if there be any watching our service here today who have not yet taken that all-important step of placing their trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Would you enable them to say today, Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ. I receive what He has done for me. Now, I'd like to invite all who would like to partake of communion to um, take the little pre-packaged cups. If you're here in our sanctuary or have picked one of these up or happen to have some at home, if you're at home, I'll give you just a moment. If you've got a piece of bread or juice or a near substitute nearby to get that, I'll give you a moment to open these little packets and then we will partake together. Okay, the body of Christ given for you. And now the cup. blood of Christ shed for you. Father, I pray now for your people. I pray that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would bring encouragement to those who are discouraged. For those who are fearful, would you renew their strength and trust in you? For those whose faith feels weak, would you Draw their eyes to Yourself, to Your magnificence, Your sovereignty, Your greatness, Your beauty, Your majesty, and Your total trustworthiness. Strengthen us, Your people, with might by Your Holy Spirit in our innermost being, that we would walk by faith and not by sight, that we would walk with You, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, before we sing about what we believe, I just want to say thank you. It was approximately one year ago today that uh, everything changed. I think it was March the 8th when our attendance dropped because word about COVID had begun to spread, and then the next week we were online only. Um, And what an unusual year it's been. But as we come to this one-year anniversary, and March also happens to be the last year of our fiscal year, I just want to thank you so very much because God, by His grace, has sustained us financially through your giving, and I thank you. I also want to thank you for your support. We've had to make a number of difficult decisions this year, things like whether to meet or not to meet, have children's ministry, not have it. Wear mask, not wear masks. These are hard things, and they've just been difficult decisions. We've tried hard to get the right input. We've prayed. Um, I just want to thank you for sticking with us and supporting us through many decisions that probably, I'm certainly, everybody's not happy about. But thank you for sticking with us, supporting us. I hope the end of this season uh, is very near. And I just want to say thank you for your support. Let's worship the Lord in whom we believe today, the one on whom our face rests, shall we?